And good morning and welcome to The Age Stage. My name is Paula Dunn and I'm joined today by Steve Myers. Welcome, Steve. Hello again. How I'm are back. you? Yes, I'm you're back. back. Thank yeah. God you're you back. You can't get rid of me, I'm like a serial pest now. <laughs> How was your week? Busy. I've been up ladders and painting roofs and things, oh, yeah. as you can see. So, uh, oh, okay. yeah, I'm actually happy to be in here and sitting on a nice, comfortable yes, chair. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay, so um, we've got a couple of really interesting guests today. We've, we're joined again by um, this week by Delia Rickard, who who we uh, were joined by last week, mm, and Delia, really yeah. yeah, this week is going to talk uh, to us about scams, which will be uh, really interesting. Yeah, so Delia's with the A Triple C, and also Emma Collins, who's CEO of Parkinson's Victoria. Mm. So they're coming up to their celebrating their tenth anniversary of a walk in the park. Wow, that's been ten money? years already. Yeah, that's fine, right? I know. Yeah, uh, time. <laughs> so um, that'll be really interesting. But first of all, um, we'd like to welcome our guests, uh, Stuart Shaw from the Village Baxter. Hi, Paula. Hi, Steve. Hey, How are you? Good Peter to see you. Nilsen. You are, you are a serial pest. Oh, yeah, mama. Yeah, and aren't we glad about that? I'm really glad about that. part of the furniture. <laughs> I am now, yeah. Um, Peter Nielsen from the Village Glen. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. And we have Katie Sa- Simmons. Pardon? Sorry. And it's good to be here. Yep. Now, just before you introduce Katie. Yep. What on earth are you doing up a ladder, Steve? Now, if you were in, in our world, Correct. we would say, get off that ladder, you silly old fool. But someone's <laughs> got to do it. That's it. It's called home improvement. But funny yeah. enough, over the weekend, yes. uh, one of the hospitals, and I forget which one, mm. is doing a research uh, project into why older people such as Me. most of a present company, <laughs> I'm, I'm excluding one, um, have so many accidents. Mm. And they actually showed that we tend to overstretch oh. and we think we can reach and and do things that, uh, that is no longer in our capacity. Mm. Now <laughs> let's introduce Katie. Welcome, Katie Simmons. Who Thank you for having me. is um, Operations Manager for FlexiCare for the Village Glen. So welcome, Katie, to this madhouse we call the Age Stage. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and good, good to have new new colours of a team it is. today. It always is good to have variety. Yeah. So what are we going to be talking about today, guys? Well, I've asked Katie to join us because, um, as you probably recall, 18 months or ago, so ago, Katie, we, we formed um, our home care business, and you're the manager of that. So 18 months ago, Katie had no staff and no clients, uh, and we've just Poor become... Well, I, I said accredited, <laughs> but you tell me that's not where we are. What, what, what happened? Well, it's what, called in um, a quality review from the home from the government. government. Yeah. yeah. So I thought it was relevant for Katie to come in and tell us the, her story about her team of people and the quality review, because clearly we are in a regulated industry, mm-hmm. spending taxpayers' money, and the way that the government keep tabs on us is to to accredit us or review us, review us, and it's a three-year process. So mm. they yeah. come and look at all our policies and procedures and and uh, how we run our show. And uh, you explain to us, Katie, how many outcomes are there? How does it all work? Yeah, so with the community aged care program, there's actually three standards with eighteen outcomes. So. Um, the quality agency come in and just check that you've got all your processes in place. They interview your clients. They interview your staff. They go through the client files just to say what your policies and procedures reflect what you do in practice. So um, it's a good solid day that they spend with you and your team. And um, as Peter mentioned, we recently went through that process and we got 18 out of 18 expected outcomes, mm, which excellent. was wonderful. Mm. And then this applies to all community care providers. So the team just go around if and... If you're government funded. Yeah, if you're government funded. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so through the Commonwealth Home and Community Care or or aged care programs. So, you know, it's so Katie having done one that's really new, it's a good opportunity just to let consumers know this is what happened and how it, how it works. So, mm. so we... Yeah, sorry. No, I was just going to say, so that's what we thought... Katie could add colour and value today. Definitely. So so where the community have 18 outcomes, residential aged care have 44 that they go through an accreditation process. So theirs is a a lot more detailed because obviously all their clients are on site and in the one location. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's it's also to do with the fact that there's, there's property involved. 
Yes. Yeah. Which, which of course doesn't happen in community care because mm. you don't do the home. Mm. Yeah. You know, it's your home. That's why you live. Mm. Mm-hmm. But that's why there's 44 in residential care rather than, uh, the 18 in community care. Mm. So what sort of criteria do they look at to give you this accreditation? What, what have you got to, what are some of the things? So under the, I guess, standard one in community aged care is effective management. So they look at the corporate governance structures that you have in place, regulatory compliance, your information management systems, continuous improvement, risk management. So all the things you really need as a, I guess, a company to keep things ticking over um, and making sure you've got the right structure in place because obviously we're administering Commonwealth funded money. So mm. the government Need to be assured that it's being spent appropriately mm-hmm. and wisely. Mm. So that's on the that's on the company side. But what about on the the resident side, on the person that you? So in terms of under, uh, they look at service access and the assessments that we do on the clients. Yeah. That they've all got care plans in place. That if they've been on your program for a certain period of time, that they've been had a reassessment, mm-hmm. and that you refer them to other services. So if you identify, say, they needed physio or podiatry or palliative care, that those referrals are being made and the right services are being brought in to support those clients Mm -hmm. to live as well as they can at home. And then the other part um, is looks at information provision and advocacy. So if clients are struggling to access or they need advocacy, if say they're in the hospital setting or rehab, that our staff are in there supporting them going through that. Mm -hmm. And what about recruitment of the staff that you use that go out into people's homes and things? Yes, so they look at your human resources systems. So they went through to make sure that our staff all had police checks, that they all had the aged care qualifications. They checked if they'd had flu shots because that's one of the new, although it's not compulsory for all aged care staff to have it, it now has to be offered mandatory by um, home care or aged care providers. So So they'd be asking whether it was offered rather than whether you had it, right? Yes, so in, in our HR system they could just clear in and they could see the date the person had had the flu shot and they just mm. checked that all those systems are in place. And if they yeah. hadn't had it, would that be a mark against, would they be likely not to get a job doing, seeing, oh, attending th- to whoever? I think if um, a client was unwell, we'd potentially not send them in to that particular client. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the residential setting, it's more... Um, Companies need to look at those that haven't had the flu shot and maybe work out where they work on particular days and mm-hmm. at particular times because of that. But um, but they're not discriminated against no. because they haven't had a flu shot. And out of our direct care workforce, as apart from one that had a medical reason that she couldn't have it, all ours actually had them done. So mm-hmm. we've had a really mm-hmm. big uptake in mm-hmm. the staff because they understand they're working with a vulnerable population. Yeah. Was that the was that the same for the residential Peter? Well, so you had a. Well, that's that's an excellent uptake. We got a good, really? yeah, we got a good uptake in the residential care. Yeah. Well, you know, the government is certainly proposing to try and do something with making it mandatory, and Paula's so got a different point of view. I have. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I understand that, Paula. <laughs> yeah. But but it does vary. So mm-hmm. if you can get the majority of your staff on board with that, I think that that's a really good result in in compliance with the government's request. We, we don't have that good a success rate. You know, we might have a 60, 70% success rate. Mm. So if you've, if you can get, uh, you know, all but a handful, I think you've done very well. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I was at the exit interview. Um, I was going to congratulate Katie here because the guy who was looking after, um, what was his name? The systems. Christian name. Gavin. Gavin. He said, you are to be congratulated. Um, uh, Katie, because uh, I've never seen um, a reporting system. Now, what, what he was talking about is our staff in the field can, uh, in real time, report back through our software system uh, yep. their notes. You tell tell the story, Katie. Yep. What, what we do, and he said, I've not seen this anywhere. So, congratulations. Yeah. So our direct workers that are out in the home have access to what's called the portal so of a morning they log in and all their shifts are in there when they complete a shift they enter shift notes that then come back into the office and if the admin girl identifies that there's something that needs to be escalated to the home support partners so these are our clinical staff that gets escalated so for example we had um a worker feedback that a client was a little bit out of sorts so we followed up and the home support partner made contact and we ended up organising an ambulance and getting them to hospital because it was only quite a minor change from the workers 
interpretation of what was happening, but the follow through of having a clinical staff member. So we get those mm-hmm. notes in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it just gives us like when you've got a lot of obviously clients that you're servicing, it helps prioritize which ones that you need to get out or follow up on. So we mm-hmm. found that's been really useful. And he said he's seen a lot of online systems where information can be pushed out, but the feedback mechanism of it coming back in was something mm-hmm. they hadn't seen before. So mm-hmm. yeah. So just, just teasing that a bit further, yeah. Katie. So Peter was looking a bit peakish. No, that was noted. <laughs> that, that was noted in his care plan. So in the shift notes. In mean? the shift notes. Yep. Um, did someone go and visit Peter before calling an ambulance or did you make the decision um, without visiting? Um, we've probably had both scenarios play out. One, we had a, we contacted a family member who was nearby who went and then the ambulance was called. Right. Um, we've had another scenario where the home support partner has gone to visit and just check before we've contacted an ambulance. Um, because obviously in our, sorry, in the portal, they also have access to the client's medical history. So if we've had to call an ambulance, they can actually let the ambos know what the person's medical history is, which has found has been very useful mm. as well. So yeah, have I answered your question? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Peter's looking a lot better for the intervention. <laughs> he is, isn't he? Oh, he yeah, is. yeah, it has, yes. So Katie, how many, um, actual workers do you have out there in the field? The direct care workers, about mm. 20. So we are a smaller program. Obviously, Peter said we're 18 months old in the making, mm. but continually growing. So as obviously more packages are coming online and we've got a few private clients now that are either on the waiting list for the home care packages because they could be waiting up to 12 months. Mm. Um, so, so tell our listeners what you mean by a private client as compared to what? Okay, as opposed to a home care package client that has government funding or government subsidy attached to purchase their services. So um, for people that may be unfamiliar with the home care packages, um, you need to contact My Age Care and have an assessment through the Age Care Assessment Team and they would determine if you're eligible for that package. But due to the number of people that have been assessed and the number of packages that there are, there's now approximately a 12-month wait to then get the package. So it's a two-step process between approval and then having that package assigned to you right Mm. (laughs) okay we're going to go to a break and we'll be back soon and so welcome back to the age stage and we're going to continue talking with katie um regarding uh care home care yeah thank you um i guess we were just mentioning before the quality review and the accreditation process that happens for community and residential aged care providers um the government have actually introduced a new eight standard system that providers now have 12 months to transition to. So residential will be going from 44 to 8 and community will be going from 18 to those 8 standards. Mm -hmm. But they've changed the way that they look at the standards now and it starts more at the outcomes for the clients and works its way back instead of just checking that the processes are in place, working its way down to customer experience. Well, that sounds much better, doesn't it? It's more about the outcome for the client and then working backwards. So that's going to be a 12-month process for all providers to adapt to the... Mm -hmm the new standards. Mm-hmm. So did you see that it's going to create much difference from your perspective? Um, I think in terms of what we have in place helps you achieve the outcomes for the client. So on the ground, I can't. I, I think they'll still be looking for some of the key measures that they currently look for under those 18 standards. Mm. But um, for example, because I'm a home care provider, one of the new standards won't relate to me because I don't have a physical property or premise where the clients attend so someone that runs a day center or an aged care facility would be covered by that standard but as a home care provider and not having a physical building that clients come to that standard won't apply to me Mm. Mm. and who sets those standards the aged care quality agency okay yeah Yeah. and but so they do both residential and community care there was an interesting is that a government agency sorry yes it is yep um Yes, I don't think there's any suggestion that it's quasi. I think it's pretty clear-cut that it is under the department. Okay. Um, there was talk about it being a separate entity, but I don't think they went down that track. Okay. There was an interesting article in last week's uh, trade paper with Kate Carnell, who did a review of uh, the quality process, proposing that there should no longer be a formal accreditation process. For, that, for home care? For, for, for both residential and community care, with the mm. rationale being if you're having unannounced visits, 
so that at any point in time a provider has to be ready for yes. an, for an, a, mm. a quality review, mm. then what's the purpose of structuring and having a, you know, you know it at some point in time you're going to have a formal accreditation mm. when you're actually getting that formal accreditation uh, on the fly. And that, that that's an interesting dynamic. Now, the Commonwealth has rejected that concept at this point and not quite certain why, but uh, in our situation, we've been advised that we can expect uh, our accreditation to occur any time between today and I think it's the 17th of, Ju- 17th of January and we simply have to be ready for it within that time frame. So they can just pop up and uh, yeah. say, okay, this is it. Guys. And, mm. and you don't agree with that? Uh, I think it's interesting uh, for, for a variety of reasons. Being? That, oh, yeah, okay, you might have gastro. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do? Because I won't come in if there's gastro. So you've got this, this team of people mm-hmm. all ready to go. They turn up on your doorstep and, sorry, guys, you can't come in. Mm-hmm. Well, what are they going to do? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think from a practical point of view, Paula, um, the issue with unannounced visits, and we understand the concept of why they would do that, but on the other side of that coin is in an aged care facility, all staff are working flat out. I mean, there's no mm-hmm. slack anywhere. When the agency come in and, and they take you know, senior people and, and, and next level of management off the floor to, to do what they do over the next two days, under this, the old system... You, you knew they were coming, so you're staffed accordingly mm. to allow mm. you to take those people off the floor. Yep. Now, yeah. what do you do now? Mm. What do you do now? And that, mm. that's we haven't been through that process. We're getting accredited next week, actually. I think um, at Village Glen Aged Care Residences. Mm-hmm. Um, now we know that's coming is the last time we've been through that. So we will staff accordingly. That doesn't mean to say we, we bring in extra staff and pretend mm. that all's well. What mm. it does mean is we bring in extra staff to let the the professionals and the senior people go offline to attend to the needs of the of the staff who are doing the accreditation. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's it's not all as it appears. Mm. I mean, I, I can recall when the minister announced it, that, and that was due to the fact that there was quite a few people failing, mm. or there was criticism that they that because they knew they were coming. They actually staffed up, so all looked well, and then mm. the week they all gone. It's back to you know. Mm whatever Some people are complaining yeah. about. Yeah. Um, now, there could well be businesses that do that, but they would be well and truly in the minority as far yeah. as I'm concerned. Yeah. Most so, businesses you know, are clearly know fully well their obligations mm. and, and, and do their darndest to comply with them. Mm. That'd be right, Stuart? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the difference between having an unannounced visit to look at a particular topic and a traditionally unannounced visit focused on clinical care issues... You know, they might pick two or three of the standards and go over them. But that might take, you know, your quality person offline or mm. it might take your infection person off. Mm. Whereas for a full accreditation, you can lose some of your key people for the full two days. Mm. Well, what happens to the clients mm. uh, during that process? Yeah, he's looking and, after them. And yeah. unless yeah. you can have the ability to say, oh, okay, you sit down with and look after the agency and we'll make phone calls and see if we can try and get someone to come in mm. to meet the job that you would otherwise be doing. So it, it's, it's going to be a really interesting process to see mm. just how this plays its way out uh, moving forward. So the model that they're using is a bit like a tax audit, you know, where the auditors just arrive or any sort of audit that you, you're not expecting that you're not there. Yeah, but you know you're expecting coming. to be available. So yeah. so if you get a tax order today, I mean, what about the day that you had planned? Mm. Mm. All of a sudden, mm. that's gone to tatters. Mm. And well, we know that the, the thinking behind that is that you're not, they're seeing things as they really are and not as mm. you're making them out to be. Yeah, oh, mm. so we all know the theory, mm. but say it'll be interesting to see just how yeah. it plays out in yeah. practice. So do yeah. you see any positives in it at all? Oh, we we don't have any any anything to hide. We you know we, no, we think no, it's going to no. be really interesting. Yeah. yeah. You know yeah. we're we're ready to go now. Mm. So we know between now over the next six months. Yeah. But it's going to happen, and mm. we're ready and we're confident. Mm. So you know we so we've got nothing to to shy away from in that process. 
but it will be interesting. Mm. Yes. Particularly yeah. if they come, you yeah. know, in flu season. Yeah. You know, that, 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 that will be interesting. And some of the smaller one-off operators um, would struggle to find people that they, they can get. I mean, at our age, we've got 350 staff who work on rosters. Mm. Most people work, you know, between four and eight shifts a fortnight. Um, so, so they've got some capacity to work extra. Mm. But if you're in a small country town or, or a small operator, mm. Um, mm. with maybe 50 or 60 residents and, and, and 50 or 60 staff, yeah. to take the key people off and try and find someone to, to supervise the other staff for that two-day period uh, would be difficult. So, cause, so quick quick test. So, mm. uh, Sorry, Paula. So when they came out to visit you, Katie, was it for a two-day review or was it a single day review no quality reviews one day in community right accreditation and, I think is two and how many people were tied up looking after the requests of the quality team well they interviewed five direct care staff so they either came in or over the phone so for, oh so this was an announced yeah. visit so yeah, it's so in an unannounced mm-hmm. visit yeah where are you going to suddenly going to rustle up five staff members yeah, exactly. to come and do? My question is, what are they, what are they, you're talking about them taking them, the staff, what taking them where and doing what well, with them? Well, meeting with the quality team, yeah, interviewing, interviewing. them. Because okay, the so staff are, the they're staff not are observing out. how they work. No. Or the work no, that they do. No, just to interview them. So they're them. wanting to talk to them. Yeah. So they'll say, can you show me a client file? Can you show me where the care plan is, where it was signed, when it was done? where you've made referrals and then they might just sit and look through notes and then they'll want to see something else and they'll say, can you show me a level two client that maybe has this medical condition or background or, mm-hmm. yeah. So they and just... so what they're trying to ascertain is that that, that um, person, the worker, is uh, capable of doing what yes. they're Yes, that's done what do. they said they've yeah. done. Okay. Yeah. And also... The and that everything's there that we say, our policies yeah. and procedures yeah. say yeah. X... So then when they look at your systems, they should reflect what your yes, policy exactly, and procedures yeah. say. Yeah. And our training's up to par and everything yeah. else. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. But it's the fact they want to interview staff. Well, the staff are out on the road somewhere. Mm. And so mm. when would you like to interview them? Because that, they would say <laughs> yes. that, you know, we're here from 9 till 4, mm. 9.30 till 4, there or thereabouts. Well, the staff members may not be back that day. So do you yeah. get a staff member specifically to come in? Mm. You know, I mean, they might be home looking too, up. You know? but, yeah. Oh, we all know who pays for it. That, <laughs> that's the provider. And with, um, with community clients, like we sent letters to every one of our clients and said who would like to nominate to speak to, and there wasn't a massive response. <laughs> so we did ask a couple of clients ring and said, oh, if you're desperate, I'm happy to talk to them. But mm. it's probably not something you could do in a day. We needed to give them notice and book in a set time. And yeah. for one of the clients, they wanted a worker there just to give them that moral support. So, so, so was that in the client's home? Yes. So we had one client come to our office to be interviewed face to face and the others were all over the phone. Mm-hmm. One was actually the family. So we had a husband and wife on a package and we actually had them speak to the son just how his experience had been mm. working with us mm. on their behalf. But, you know, thinking about that, I mean, we hear lots of, and we've talked about it lots of times on this program, lots of complaints about, you know, not lots, but we hear the complaints, yep. and, uh, the stories that are done in the media, etc. So if if clients are not prepared to actually say how great they're, service was that they'd been looked after well you know like you can't have it both ways do you know mm. what I mean mm. you know you can't complain in one um in one way and then not be prepared to you know give praise when it's due either mm. you know yeah. I think you've got to be able to um I think that sometimes the fact it's a government department yeah. or yes, I want to come of, and talk to you yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know the, I'm the government I'm here to help <laughs> Run! <laughs> yeah, run a mile. They might come and talk about community care, but they may even want to do a tax audit. Well, <laughs> it's... Go for it, whatever. <laughs> but as you raise about the media, there is there are stories about complaints and probably a lot more airtime gets given to the negative stories. Yeah, whereas well, we've talked about that a lot. Yeah. We've got a lady in our aged care facility that will be soon moving into our retirement village with the support of community services and then when her package comes online so that they're actually coming out of residential care into community because they're improving with the allied health services they're receiving and mm. getting regular meals and their mm. medications on time and are now in a place that they can go home and yeah. live on their own and 
have another go. Yeah. In the last 12 months, that's the third person who's come out of care into independent living mm. at, wow. at the Village Glen. That's wow. amazing. Yeah. That's that is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. That is amazing. Mm. It's a great outcome for them. And so they're the yeah. things that we need to hear about. Absolutely. You know? Good news stories. Yeah, yeah. good news yeah. stories. Yeah. Wasn't there a song written about that? I think there yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> good news <laughs> week. Yeah. yeah. Now, who, who, who did that song? I can remember the song. Yeah, yeah, was same here. The host Someone actually. No, I don't name? think so. No. Yeah, the, oh. the so there's a research project the for the, the R double P. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Back to the 60s. It, yeah. Yeah. it wasn't oh, Herman's Hermits. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. no, no. no it wasn't. Mm. Now we're going to find that out. Yes, now, now so <laughs> there, there's this week's quiz question. <laughs> okay, so we've come to the end of our time today. It's flown by. Yeah, hasn't it, ever? So we'd like to thank you, Katie. Thank you for all your information. No worries. Thanks for having and, me. Um, hopefully we'll see you again. Peter Nielsen from the Village Glen. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Paula. And Stuart Shaw from the Village Thanks, Paula. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Back again next week, Steve? Ah, possibly. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. He's looking more permanent. So I, reckon, I, reckon, I reckon Steve's settled right into the chair. <laughs> he has. Yeah, he has it's yeah. quite cosy, I can tell you. Yeah, I, I, can, I can see he's enjoying it. He is. <laughs> Thanks, Have a great week. Thank you. For over 40 years, the Village Baxter has built its reputation as a leading provider of quality retirement living, community and aged care on the Monington Peninsula. The Village Baxter's vision of every person cared for, every person valued, is demonstrated in a range of services, from retirement living to home care anywhere on the peninsula. The Village Baxter, meeting the community's care needs. Call 597-11349, station sponsor. And welcome back to the Age Stage. And we have with joining us today Delia Rickard, and Delia is Deputy Chairman of the ACCC. Welcome, Delia. Hi there. How are you? I'm very well, thanks, Paula. That's good. And we had a little chat last week with you, Delia, but this time, this week, you're talking about scams. My favourite subject to discuss <laughs> yes. because we see so much damage done by scams. Yeah, I'm amazed at, oh, I guess, the gullibility of a lot, uh, you know, old, a lot of older people as far as scams go. Um, you know, no names, but I, I know someone personally who continually sends money to this person that she thinks is real is not real oh. and is some call centre in Nigeria or oh, somewhere. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. There's a lot of those scammers. Yeah, I think it's really important to remember, though, that these scammers are incredibly good at what they do. Yes. They understand how to manipulate people's yes. emotions. They now understand how to impersonate others, whether they're well-known government or corporate brands or whether they're love interests. And they are just so damn good at it yes. that um, the most educated and wary of us all could mm. still fall for them from time to time. Well, it got to the point with this particular person where, you know, I know you can go to a website and, it, it, you know, you can see exactly the sentences that they're going to use. You know, like, my mother's had an accident. She's now in hospital. I need more money because yeah. I can't get here, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I took her through those, but still quite uh, Look, it might be worth on the Scamwatch site. If you look around, you'll find there's a whole area of videos. And one of the things we've seen that has helped it to start a question mark form in people's minds, because when somebody feels they've met the love of their life, yes. um, they really want to believe it. And I've spoken to victims who now know they were scammed, who are out of it, mm. but who tell me it was the happiest time of their life. Oh, but there's a range of videos there. There's a very good SBS documentary. There's also things like current affairs interviews, things like that, where the, the interviewers are talking with victims. And because the stories are so similar, particularly with these romance scams, Often hearing other people who have been victims talk about it and talk about how they felt when they were in in the relationship, for want of a better term, and they start to pick up patterns, people start to pick up patterns and similarities, which in some instances starts to questioning. Mm. I mean, how do they get the information, Delia? You know, how do they get these scammers, get so much personal information to be able to... Um, you know, contact you and Look, things It depends like which scam you're talking about. Mm, if, yeah. if we're talking about romance scams, they used to meet you through dating romance scams mm. where you'd have a bit of information by, by yourself. Now they'll often meet you either through social media, yes. Facebook in particular, mm. yeah, where, where if you don't have your privacy settings right, they might 
you know, watch, have a look, good look at your site, watch you for a bit before approaching you. Mm. So that they've got a sense of what your interests are, what your values are, etc. Yeah. So that they can seem to instantly strike up this bond with you, mm. um, which they'd hopefully they believe makes it more likely that they can quickly move on to getting you to fall in love with them, etc. These days they're even on apps, and lots of apps you can communicate with others, with play games with, etc. And they'll be there playing a game, and they'll seem like it's just a study, a casual conversation. But they are they are incredibly good. And if you listen to them often, they're not telling you... The sorts of things they say they know about you are often things which would apply to most people. Yes, that's right. Yeah, They're like horoscopes. Mm, yes. Very, yes, very sad, really. And so why do you think, Delia, that, you know, 55s and over are the demographic that's targeted? Is it because of loneliness? Um, look, in, in romance scams, and it sort of starts from anywhere from 45 up with romance scams, mm. I think there's a few reasons. It's an age where kids may have left home, there may be a bit of money around, divorces tend to happen, people become, lose a partner one way or another. Um, so... It can be a lonely age for many people, mm. and there's some money to be gotten at. Mm. So I think it's really the fact that you're at a period of life where you might have some money that the scammers can get their hands on, and you may be lonely. Um, they are the two main reasons why I think they particularly like that age group. Mm. This particular person that I um, know very well is, you know, not a wealthy person, mm. and and has told this person that and but they work on her from pension to pension mm. it's terrible oh, and uh, sorry just let me turn that off um now let me just sort of clip. um i think there's a few things to say on that they these scammers do a number of things first of all they often get people to mortgage their homes and go into debt for them secondly well, sometimes when there's no money they turn people into drug mules Oh. And they'll say that they want you to come and meet them because they're dying to see you. They may even send you money for an airfare. And then one reason or other, they'll ask you to carry a bag or take mm. something with you. Mm. And inevitably, there will be drugs there. We've seen people, a number of people over 65, end up before the courts. Some have ended up in prison because of this. So there's a number of ways they can exploit you. Wow. That's, yeah, amazing. But it's it? really yeah. depressing. I, I think of all the scams yeah. we see, and I see them all, believe me, this is the one that has the most devastating impact on people's lives because it destroys them both financially and emotionally. Mm. The one that I've been coming across a lot lately with older people is these ones ringing up saying that there's something wrong with your internet yes, and, yes. and they, they want all your details so mm. they can sort it out that seems to be a very common one these yeah. Days. yeah it's it's a hugely common one we've seen a steep increase in them this year and they will find a reason for you to give them remote access so you should say that there's a problem with your computer we we would like to fix it for you you know your small charge you mm. need to give us remote access etc mm. if you give them that remote access a number of things are likely to happen. Um, if they ask you to pay the small service charge and give them a credit card number or access to your bank account details, a lot more will go than you've suggested. They'll probably also download malware onto your computer so that they can access all your personal details and usually be able to track and work out how to get to your bank account too. Mm -hmm. So you know, the golden rule is no matter who they say they are, do not give anyone who approaches you out of the blue access to remote access to your computer, including if it comes up as a pop-up. And also know that Microsoft, Apple, Telstra, Optus, none of them are monitoring your computer. This will be a scam. It will be a lie. Mm -hmm. And if they give you a number to, to confirm it on, don't use it because it will be a number that will be answered by another scammer. If you ever want to check out whether somebody is a legitimate organisation, Never use the contact details. They, mm. The crawler provides or the emailer provides. Always independently source them through a Google search or using the telephone book. Yes. I actually had a good one a couple of months ago where they rang me and they said, oh, sir, I'm from Telstra and your account, blah, blah, yes, blah. Yes, I had the same. And I let them talk for a couple of minutes and I just politely said to them, I don't have an account with Telstra, so you're obviously wrong or mm. a scammer yeah. and hung up on them. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I had I had an email the same, mm. your Telstra account is overdue by da-da-da mm. and, I, and I direct debited out. I knew that it wasn't yeah, exactly. overdue anything. <laughs> 
So, uh, Delia, how difficult is it to catch them, these scammers? Look, it's incredibly difficult because the vast, mm. vast, vast majority of these scammers are located overseas. Mm. Um, so it's incredibly resource-intensive, difficult. You catch one, you even catch a whole call centre, and there are just thousands out there waiting to replace them. Mm. This is big business, it's organised crime. So the approach the ACCC takes is, is a multiple approach. We try to get the message out to warn people how to identify scams. We've been working with intermediaries such as the banks who facilitate getting the money to the scammer mm. so that they can get better to, at detecting when money might be going to a scammer and, and put a halt on it and have that conversation with the consumer to try and work out whether it's legitimate or not. Um, we're also trying to work with social media and other in, people in the social media area like Facebook so that they do more to keep scammers off their sites. Um, but it is, you know, it is a constant challenge and unfortunately there are just more and more scammers out there mm. because they see the money in it. Wow. Mm. Goodness yeah. me. Yeah. So when should you contact ScamWatch? We really appreciate it. We, it you know, we're not going to be able to get your money back for you. I should, I should do that bit of expectations management mm. up front. But if you've been scammed or if um, you've been exposed to a scam but resisted, we really appreciate you going to scamwatch.gov.au. Mm -hmm. There's a very quick form you can fill in. And by doing that, it helps us to know the scams that are doing the rounds mm -hmm. um, so we can get out there and warn others about them and have a sense of the size of the problem we're grappling with. What are the statistics, Delia? Do, do we well, know? I just had a look. But last year, we took our statistics plus a number of other agencies that people report scams to, and we got a figure of 340 million <gasps> um, reported lost to scams. Oh. This year, we're seeing a huge increase already in the amount of scams. Just to the ACCC alone, we've had nearly $65 million worth of scams reported to, from January to the end of June. And... When we combine that with others, I think we're going to far exceed the $340 million from last year. Oh, so we're not talking about small change. And even that $340 million, my kind of informed guesstimate is that's probably about a tenth of the money that was actually lost. Oh, my goodness. And I would um, really suggest that our listeners, if they feel like they're being scammed in some way, to call uh, the ACCC or the police or both. Mm. Um, I, I had a friend last year who uh, his wife, they got on the phone and she didn't realise they were scamming. Mm. And in this particular scam, they actually deposited a whole lot of money into their bank. Mm. And then the deal was... They're going to contact you in a couple of days' time. And you've got to then transfer yeah, this money laundering. elsewhere. You know, mm. uh, they contacted the ACCC and the police, and through d doing that, uh, they were actually able to track those people oh, and catch them. So, yeah. uh, please, if you are listening, if you think you've been uh, contacted by a scammer, let let the police or the yeah. ACCC know. Very Definitely. important. Uh, yeah. That's really good advice because also, if you do forward on that money, you are, you you are guilty too, that's and exactly, it's a criminal yeah. offense. Yeah, exactly. exactly true. That's yeah. right. Okay. Mm. Well, thank you for talking with us today, Delia. That's been really interesting. I'm sure we could do a whole program on scamming, <laughs> yes. unfortunately. It's my pleasure. I'm sorry it's such a depressing conversation to have, but oh, hopefully no. this will prevent some people no, from getting scammed. Yes, we can yeah. only hope for that, can't we? And, you know, and, you know, reassure our listeners that there is, uh, there are people like the ACCC and Scamwatch and others out there to help them, um, if they, you know, even if they feel the slightest bit that they're being scammed to contact um, Scamwatch or the ACCC. Okay, thank you, dear. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you. Bye now. And welcome back to the Age Stage. And our guest this afternoon is Emma Collins. Welcome, Emma. Oh, thank you very much for having me on, Paula. It's wonderful to have the CEO of Parkinson's Victoria um, oh, talking to us. It's a great privilege to speak with you. So tell us about Parkinson's Victoria, Emma. Parkinson's Victoria is um, a relatively small not-for-profit, Paula, that's operating in Victoria, but we have a tremendous uh, community of support. Um, we have 67 support groups around Victoria, mm -hmm. and we have um, 27,000 people living with Parkinson's that we look after each year. Um, and uh, and a very active community who who volunteer and support one another. Has there been an increase, Emma, in in Parkinson's, or is it just that it's you know the diagnosis is more um, obvious or prevalent? You know, 
It's a really good question, Paula. I would actually say that we're expecting the prevalence to increase at about 4% oh, per wow. year, okay. which is which is on par with uh, an ageing population. I guess from the scientists and the specialists that we speak to, we're probably diagnosing it um, earlier. Mm. So we are seeing um, more people with Parkinson's, but it's not probably because there's an increased incidence of the disease. And so what are the symptoms or do they vary to a great degree? They do vary to a great degree. So it is a progressive neurological condition and it's associated with movement disorder, which is really around the breakdown in messages from the brain to the muscles. So the symptoms that are most common um, that people would know about are that shaking or, or tremor associated with the condition. Mm. Um, and there's that, that stiffness or tightness of muscles. People often refer to the, you know, that, that, the masked look of people with Parkinson's because mm-hmm. their facial expressions may not be there. Mm-hmm. And there's also that slowness and difficulty in moving, moving, so starting and stopping. Mm-hmm. And, of course, balance problems as well. So they're the movement or, or the very obvious movement, but there's a lot of other non-motor symptoms, tiredness and, and depression, um, constipation, difficulty speaking and swallowing. So there's a lot of other very debilitating um, symptoms that are probably people are less aware of. And is there an average demographic that that it seems to attack? Or it, it, it is a it is um, a, a condition that does impact probably uh, the majority of the people it impacts are over 65 years of age. Okay. But 18% of people are diagnosed of working age. Yes. So there's still quite a large cohort of young people living with Parkinson's. Mm. Um, so it, it, it doesn't discriminate in that in that regard. It, it actually impacts a lot of people in the community. And what sort of research is, and work is being done on trying to find some sort of you know cure for it? I guess it's a multifaceted approach, and it's certainly an international approach to research, which we support too. Mm. And that's certainly looking at the aspects of how you can slow, stop, and reverse or prevent Parkinson's. Mm. Um, they're all part of, I guess, working towards a cure. Yes. And I guess there's those other activities in terms of research with looking at improving quality of life. And we want we want people to be able to lead good lives with Parkinson's. So there's a, there's quite a, a focus on that sort of research as well. Mm. And that, for the most part, happens quite collaboratively um, with the research community around the world. And so, you know, if from the time of diagnosis, what what what's usually the prognosis from there? Oh, look, you know, it would be it'd be hard to estimate because it's going to vary from individual to individual. Yes, and it is a very individualised um, um, conditional disease for the person living with the condition. We we don't find any two that are the same. Mm. Um, I've I've got people within the community here who've been living with the condition over 30 years. Wow. So people can obviously live a very long life with Parkinson's. Mm. Um, what we're looking forward is make sure that they can live it as well as possible. Yes, it's a bit like that with MS as well, isn't it? It's similar. Mm. Yeah, well, and when we work closely with our neurological um, friends because, mm. you know, there are some similarities and great differences in our conditions, but um, they certainly do require a level of care and attention because they are complex mm. and they certainly require um, specialist support. Mm. Is it an autoimmune disease? Um, it's not. It's not classified. It's, it's classified as a movement disorder yep. um, condition, and um, and I guess you know it's not like MS, which is classified as autoimmune. Yes, but yep. um, it's classified as a movement disorder, which MS is as well. Mm. Mm. Um, uh, I don't think that the autoimmune. It's more about um, uh, the the. the absence of dopamine in the brain mm. um, in Parkinson's. So it's about the reduction of, of um, a chemical and, and what causes um, the, that to affect movement in people with Parkinson's. Yes, and, and there was some talk, I, I think I read about stem cell um, work that was being done in regard to Parkinson's. Do you know anything about that? Stem, stem cell research and it is um, um, in the very early, not very early, but it's it's... It's from a Parkinson's perspective, the research in that space um, is still 
in the very early or developing mm-hmm. stages. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess there's lots of areas of, of research that are developing and there's far, some that are far more progressed than others. Stem cells probably one which is still quite new in the Parkinson's space. Yes. And so tell us about a walk in the park. I believe it's your 10th anniversary for Parkinson's Walk in the Park. Very exciting for for the Parkinson's community in in Victoria, whether you're new or been part of the community for a very long time, this year we're celebrating with our 10th annual walk in the park. Mm. So we're exciting, very excited about that milestone as, as much as people are within the Parkinson's community because some of them have been walking yes. <laughs> at each one of our walks for the last 10 years. Wow. Um, and that walk is really to raise awareness of Parkinson's. Yes. Uh, we want you know our community walking tall this year, mm. and um, and celebrating that significant milestone. We know that raising awareness is you know key to us reducing people's so- social isolation with this condition, mm. and um, and raising the awareness and the stigma associated with having the condition. So it's also to raise funds to so that we can support our work. Yes. Um, because we run that, we run um, health education and support information to people with Parkinson's. More than, you know, more than five thousand calls a year to people who are who are managing, you know, mm. particularly complex medical condition, and they're seeking advice and support from us. So, um, so this this year's walk, you know, will be held at Federation Square. Yeah. And which it is every year, but we will also have eight regional walks around Victoria. Oh wow! That's great. So, um, and we'll probably see you know somewhere between four and five thousand people gather for the walk around Victoria, that's and um, and join in and and you know stand tall for people with Parkinson's. Yes, and and how? What's the distance that they walk, Emma? Well, we have um, we have a short walk and a long walk around Federation Square, both two kilometres and four kilometre walk, mm-hmm. um, and people can select which one they would like to. I have plenty of people come along who just sit and enjoy the entertainment <laughs> <laughs> in Federation Square, which is which is lovely as well. We have some great um, bands and entertainers come along and support us. That's fantastic. And we have members of the family who walk and members of families who, who stay behind. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, there's plenty of activities and support you know, for people on the day. Um, our, all of our team are there with advice and support as well. And as I said, we've got some people this year, it'll be very exciting in walking for the 10th year, but it doesn't matter whether it's your 10th year or your first year. Yes. You, everybody's more than welcome. We, um, you know, we have people who are, who are walking in memory of loved ones as well. So it's a very special day for, for many in the community and we invite others to come along and join us. That's great. And so if I was diagnosed with Parkinson's, would I be then referred to your organisation automatically? Yeah, in a lot of cases you would be. Yeah. Um, so a lot of, we get a lot of referrals from neurologists mm-hmm. um, because most people diagnosed with Parkinson's would be referred from a GP to... Um, specialist neurologist for diagnosis because mm-hmm. there's no clinical test oh, wow. for diagnosis. It's got to be done generally by somebody with a level of expertise to um, diagnose the, the movement disorder. Wow. Um, and even then it can be a matter of trial and error over a period of time and people's responsiveness to perhaps a drug regime to see whether their symptoms improve might be an indicator of whether somebody has the condition. Mm. So um, so if you're diagnosed, it's generally going to be by um, uh, a neurologist. And many of the neurologists around Victoria know our services, so they'll make a referral. And we wrote, we, we make, um, make people very welcome. We understand that they are going to want to receive information in a, in a way that meets their needs. And that will be the time that suits them, particularly around receiving a diagnosis. Some mm-hmm. people are very confronted, as you can imagine, by, yes. by the news. Mm-hmm. Um, we run recently diagnosed seminars throughout the year and throughout the state. Well, that's a good idea. So that yeah. people can come along and get get the information that they need at point of diagnosis that's relevant and helpful yeah. and so that they can know that we're there. And that's why we probably receive so many calls a year yes, yes. from people because you may not always need Parkinson's Victoria, but at some stage you probably will mm-hmm. and, um, and that we'll be there to support you on that journey. Right. Well, thank you, Emma, for coming on and talking to us about... Um, Parkinson's 
at Victoria today and good luck and congratulations for the 10th anniversary walk. It sounds a lot of fun. And where could our listeners, um, if they wanted to join that walk, where would they well, go to? We'd love them to join us on the, on Sunday, the 26th of August. Mm-hmm. Um, and where you can, you can, um, come online at parkinsonswalk.org.au. AU, mm-hmm. and that's where you can look at um, registration. And if you're not if you're not on on um, on the internet and and don't feel comfortable registering online, you can certainly ring us on double eight zero nine zero four double zero, and our team here will register you for, for on on your behalf. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Emma. It's been lovely talking to you. Many thanks for having me. Thank you. Okay. Bye now. Bye bye. Emma Collins. Yes, Emma Collins from Parkinson's Victoria. That sounds like you're doing a great yeah. job. Yeah. Ten years it's been going yeah. now. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, happy anniversary there, yes, by the way. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So here I'm, we are. I must um, admit, I, I actually didn't know a lot about Parkinson's. Uh, a lot mm. of that was... Um, quite a revelation And it's me, quite so. often misdiagnosed. So yeah. because the diagno- early in the diagnosis, you know, it appears or can be masked mm. by you know, other symptoms and yeah. looking like it's something else. Mm. And, you know, yeah. It's a, I recently saw the uh, Glenn Campbell special oh, that yes. was filmed before his passing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it really it robs you of a lot of stuff, doesn't it? It it's does. Very sad, yeah. Well, Michael J. Fox, I think, is is hit Parkinson's or has he got uh, MS? No, Parkinson's. His is Parkinson's, yeah. yeah but and he's managed to deal with it. He's done a way. lot of yeah. work for for the cause, and I actually saw him in something recently, in a TV show recently, and mm. I thought, oh, wow, look, he's, he's still yeah. making appearances. Yes, and, uh, yes. Yeah, brave I man. I think he was in that series, The Good Wife, for a while as oh, a lawyer. Oh, right. So, and his idea was to show people that you, it's not, mm. you know, it's not a death sentence. Yeah. You can still function, you can still work. And That's interesting because he played a lawyer in Designated Survivor, an episode oh, okay. that I saw recently yeah. too. So. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So he got it quite young. Yes, he did, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. he was starting to show signs when he was in his mid-30s, wasn't yes, he? Yes, he always yeah. had one hand in his pocket. That's if right, you, yeah. If you go back and look at a lot of his um, work, mm. that he would... Yeah, he would, and that's where the shake started yeah. apparently for him, which wow. was mm, very, very sad. Well, today's gone by quickly. It has, hasn't it's it, Steve? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we've had a lot of interesting um, talks today, which is great. I yeah. enjoy coming on the age stage. Yeah, you meet well, all these fascinating people. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? I may yeah, be back next week. Be. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's it for today, and we'll maybe see you next week, Steve. Maybe you will. Okay, (laughs) bye for now.